So, the topic for today is we're talking about finding the signal in the kingdom of noise. Okay, and then this is Jacob Suarez. Uh, he's handing the baton off to me. I went to high school with him at this tiny Christian high school. I mean, we had 10 to 20 people a class. But uh, the reason why I bring him up and say, aka Biggie Clean, is because he has this TikTok channel now. I mean, I kind of got disconnected from him after high school, but I knew that he was doing a job of, as a crime scene cleanup person. And so he would literally clean up crime scenes, which could be pretty insane. But then he also had these really intense cleaning equipment, so he'd also be doing things with like cleaning up uh, hoarder houses or just crazy rodent and bug issues, just the most disgusting and awful experiences that you can think of. But with TikTok, he kind of just started it one day and it blew up. He's been on the news. He has 3.6 million followers. You can see some of these have you know 46 million views, and he, he's able to, you know, this you know this opportunity, this platform that he has, he can you know spread actually a message that's really it has a cool gospel story to it because when he does his job, he will go to these people and it's like the worst day of their life a lot of the time. Or just they're living in a bunch of shame because they have, you know, they're hoarders or something like that. And he has a passion to kind of, you know, um, shed a light uh, and have people more aware and more compassion for people with mental illnesses. And then also he does like all these like little things to love them with cleaning something extra, you know, and, and making their day on like the worst days of their life. And so... You know, it's so often that we, we think of technology and we think of it as, you know, and everyone, all the old people, they tell us, oh, you should get off your phone, you're on your phone four hours a day, do you know the statistics and stuff like that? I have some statistics today. But I, I, what I'm saying is that there's some real good to it, too. And so I want to talk about the everything enslavement. What does that even mean? If you trace human history throughout all of time, we have gotten more freedom. And we've had more options. You no longer, you don't have to do the job that your parent did. Like if your last name is Smith or this or that, you know, like you don't do the same job that your parents did. You don't have to choose a spouse to marry in your small village of 20 people. You know, you are very free and the people, you know, I'm not actually marrying someone from 20, family friend from 20 years ago. She's in Texas and I grew up in Oregon, you know, and so we have all of these choices. It's like you can eat whatever you want. You have any cuisine available to you. You and, and there's just all of this freedom. But from that freedom, there's also a lot of brokenness that comes. It's very hard to make all these decisions of what I'm going to study in school and what, what my major is going to be. And it's an angsty thing about who I'm going to marry and all of that. And there's also a freedom in terms of, like, you think about the freedom of sexuality and how that has gotten wider and wider and the ethics of that have gotten looser and looser and that goes for a lot of things and so what i'm saying here is that with innovation and technology there are good things but there are also new evils and so, so there's a technology and ethics writer named tristan harris and he points out that slot machines make more money in the united states than all of baseball the entire movie industry and all of theme parks combined. Slot machines make more money than all of that. Slot machines are very addictive. Natasha Dow Scholl of New York University says it's three to four times more quickly addicting than other forms of gambling. It's just a few quarters at a time. And that sounds like something else, doesn't it? Just a few seconds of time. 
Just a little bit of attention. Just a little bit more of scrolling. A few more notifications to clear. Another more bit of news. And slot machines, they go under the radar in society. I, I wasn't really very aware of this. And in the same way, individuals are being slowly destroyed alone all over our society. And it's, it's even more so in COVID. And everyone here, you know your situation. You know the things that you struggle with. And we have a culture of extreme, extreme distraction. Here's a bomb quote from a guy named Ronald Royzer. He says, today, a number of historical circumstances are producing a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life that they produce in us than we are in the church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. I have some stats on addiction, but I'm actually going to skip all of them. Um, but... I mean, you know, like there's crazy amounts of food addiction. Uh, lots of people have too much coffee. There's a lot of pornography in the world. There's a lot of it. Um, and, and it says, I'll just, this will be maybe one step I'll say, it says um, at least two-thirds of young men and 18% of young women report viewing porn at least weekly. I mean, you know, alcohol, drugs, coffee, sugar, porn, all these things, they slowly destroy us and often in quiet. And so I say the best way to destroy yourself is slowly and quietly. So why did we say finding the signal in the kingdom of noise? There's this guy named C.S. Lewis. He writes this book from the perspective of a senior demon named Scrooge, who is teaching a junior demon. And he says, music and silence, how I detest them both. Hell has been occupied by noise. Noise, the grand dynamism, the audible expression of all that is exultant, ruthless, and vir virile. I don't even know how to pronounce that. Noise, which alone defends us from silly qualms, despairing scruples, and impossible desires. We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. The melodies and silences of heaven will be shouted down in the end. And... What's going on here is that the powers of evil know that they will be unseated in solitary silence with God. And I'd also like to point out that there is external noise, like just a loud environment, but there's also internal noise. You can have a noise within you even when you live in like an external silence in our, in our, in our life. And these... If, if you, you will not be able to hear the, king, the, the signal of heaven if you choose to live in the kingdom of noise. And these distractions, they keep us from realizing our internal condition and our needs. Because it's always the next thing. It's always the next distraction. Corey ten Boom says, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And so I read a book by a guy named Henry Nowen. And he talks about what he calls the great paradox of our time, where we are both busy, and yet in our inner selves, we ask if anything is really happening. 
We can hardly keep up, and we work so hard, and yet we're so far off of what all the things that we feel we have to do and aspire to do. And we wonder sometimes if it would make any difference if we did nothing at all. People push us in all directions, and yet we doubt if anyone really cares. He says, the most debilitating expression of our unfulfillment, however, is depression. When we begin to feel not only that our presence makes little difference, but also that our absence might be preferred. We have this unfulfillment that leads to resentment, hopelessness, and even to a point of feeling guilty of our own existence. And as I read this part of the book, it really resonated with me. I actually was crying when I was prepping this for you guys, because I know how hard it is to be a person in this world at all, let alone a young person who is very impressionable, you have all these influences, and you have so much of your life ahead of you. Everywhere you look, you can see these beautiful girls who can look good, they can dress well, they can kill it with makeup, and there's, you know, similar things have existed for a long time. But now, with billions of smartphones and all of these you know, um, video production devices in our pockets and the ability to scale this data all across the whole world has created this exponential competitiveness where these, you know, these unattainable standards can be spread to everyone at, at such scale. And now with this world, you have things like TikTok and it's not just about those other things in terms of um, being a, a woman in this world, but it's about having the perfect personality and dancing and sexual behavior that is deeply involved in having all the great lifestyle and self-help tips. And those self-help tips don't work. You're, you still feel empty and broken. And, and you see young guys with similar things claiming to be self-made millionaires, you know, and they've all got their side hustles and they're killing it at, on the football field and in the gym. And what I want to say to anyone that this is resonating with, I want to say, do not give up. You are valuable, and I don't say that in a cheap, superficial way that the world does. There is another kingdom, there is another way, and there is, there is what, what I call the upside-down kingdom. It's courageous, it's bold, it's opposite from the world around you, but there is fullness of life in the one who created all things, including you, for whom are all things, including you, and who wants to make all things new, including you. And that's the gospel. And throughout all history, we have taken good things and we have made them what I call God's substitutes in a rebellion against our loving creator. All of these were gifts from God, but we want the gifts without the giver, it says in Romans 1. It, 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 to have an analogy, it's like we have a dad and we want him to work hard for us and pay the bills and serve us at home and drive us around, but we don't want him. We reject him and disrespect him and want him to disappear. We actually want the noise. We want the perverted forms of the good things that God made. There's this paradox that we've already talked about that we are both filled, we're busy, we're overwhelmed, and we're trying to do all these things, and yet we feel unfulfilled at the core. Our life is full and yet we feel empty. We're like these vacuums and black holes and we need love and, and we, we grasp for love and we reach for it and we, we, we want, we have all these needs that we can't satisfy and as we grasp for it, we end up destroying and hurting the people around us. 
But the only thing that can satisfy an infinite vacuum is an infinite source. And God created you. He knows what you need and what you are meant to become because he made you. We're trying to fill ourselves with all the wrong things and we're responding to all of the noise and all of the influences and all of the just everything all around us instead of dealing with the core. We're trying to insert gasoline into all the different holes of an electric vehicle. And so we have a story of this of Elijah. And so what happens with Elijah, he has a story where he has had this massive showdown on top of a mountain with all of these like uh, false prophets. And he has called down fire from heaven and just what should have been this enormous win, and he has done all these things for God, and now the evil queen, she's like, all right, you're dead. And so she is chasing him, and he is actually fleeing for his life, the Bible says. And even though he has this huge victory, he feels depleted and just completely empty, and he actually goes out into the wilderness, and he asks God to take his life. He slumps up against this solitary broom tree, and he just falls asleep. And then an angel wakes him up, and he says, take and eat. And he gives him this little cake thing. It's like angel food cake. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so then he goes back to sleep, actually. And then he wakes up, and he gets more of this cake. And the angel says, like, take and eat. For the journey ahead is too much for you. And the one of the points here is that the spiritual journey is taken in a physical body. And your sleep and your academics and your relationships and your spiritual life and all of these things are connected. And so you really need to take care of yourself. Um, and, you know, God knew what Elijah needed there. He needed sleep. He needed food, you know. And then he actually goes 40 days and 40 nights, and he goes to this special mountain where he hopes for an encounter with God. And verse, okay, verse 10, he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, he says to God, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the angel says, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a still, small voice. It's also translated as a soft and gentle whisper. And when you read the story, you don't actually see a whole bunch of, like, it, it feels like the narrative kind of stops there. There just was something about Elijah's encounter on this mountain where there's all of these incra like crazy displays of God's power and how he owns all of creation. And, and, but then... How God meets him is this still, small voice. And this is one of the deepest issues with our society today. 
We just live in noise and distraction, and we are cut off from the still, small voice of God. And so, continuing to Jesus, if you look in the book of Luke, Jesus goes to his quiet place no less than nine times. And he's going around and he's doing all these crazy miracles, and he's healing people, and everyone wants to see him everywhere he goes, but yet he secludes himself and goes away into his quiet place. The word here is wilderness, it's quiet place, it's desert, and it's translated, this is Eremos. And it's actually the same word used in Elijah during this journey that he has. And if you remember, Jesus actually, he also goes into the desert, and that's the word here again is Eremos, right after the John the Baptist encounter. So John the Baptist, you know, he baptizes Jesus, doves come down from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then that is kind of like the launch pad of Jesus' ministry. But the launch pad of Jesus' ministry is to go out into a desert for 40 days and nights without food, and then to be tempted by the devil. And that's, that's really peculiar, you know, that the launch pad of his ministry would be to a desert. It's, it's almost as if Jesus knew he was going to face Satan himself, and he needed to be prepared and have that closeness with God, his Father, going into that. And what I'd say is that the desert, this, the wilderness, the Aramos, it isn't a place of weakness, it's a place of strength, where we learn to yield to God and to let him speak to us. And the hard part about silence and removing all the noise and stopping all the things we're doing is that we come face to face with ourselves. But it's also where God is going to teach us and convict us and change us, give us healing, remind us of his promises, um, lead us, and give us power. So on the topic of stillness, uh, Ruth Haley Barton says, You are like a jar of water shaken up. You need to sit still long enough for the sediment to settle and the water to become clear. God desires to reveal himself to you. In fact, the Bible has an illustration. It's like as God is just running after us, but we're running in exactly the opposite direction, even though he's right next to us all along. And all we have to do is stop running away, stop all the striving, and be with him. In scripture, we actually see this picture of a newborn infant and a nursing mother. Actually, that picture applied to God multiple times through a variety of books. And so this, um, in Isaiah 49, it says, Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. And in this example, I mean, this would be a rebellious, terrible child in, in this context, and in, in God's commitment and his, his um, compassion for his, his people. And so this, this picture of like the newborn infant and the nursing mother, there's another verse in scripture that you probably all know where it says, be still and know that I am God. That's a really deep verse. Um, I'll repeat it again. Be still and know that I am God. That stillness actually has a, a, a meaning there of loosening your grasp. It's like 
the baby that is kicking and screaming and what they need is their mother's milk, but here they are just throwing a tantrum and freaking out and crying. But then there's that point of stillness where the baby and the mom, they connect. The mom is able to give nutrition and the, the, what the baby needs, but the baby has to stop the kicking and the freaking out and the being focused on everything else to have that stillness and connection with its mother. And that's what our quiet times are like, the quiet times that we, we really, really struggle to have in our society. So earlier we, said, we asked this question, does anyone care? Does anyone see me? And I want to say that God sees you. He awaits you to run to him with open arms. We have to stop running. I know in this room that none of us have perfect mothers or fathers. But if you just take a moment to think of all the ways that your mother has best loved you, or if not that, whatever motherly presence you've had in your life, maybe a teacher, maybe a counselor. And you, I just think of, not as, not as mom's really good at this, but like just you come back from school and you're just crying and you're just, you're frustrated about these things and you have to get all this just frustration and you know, kind of crying out and everything. And, the, the perfect mother, I mean, she's, she's there, she's compassionate, she's listening, she embraces you, she deals with all of our garbage, you know? And, and that's, that's the picture of who God is and what our quiet times with him are. It says, be still and know that I am God. And that knowing isn't just an intellectual knowing. It's like a knowing, like that connection of the baby with its mother. There's a knowing that is, comes from stillness, not just study. And this morning time, I think sometimes we can get deterred from doing morning study because it's like, oh, I'm supposed to, I don't know, like study my Bible really just meticulously. And we're, we're, maybe some people here, you struggle with making reading the Bible an academic exercise. And the Bible is critical but it's not the only aspect of spending time with God. There is just, God wants to live all of your life with you. He wants you to communicate all of your frustrations with you. He also wants to speak to you, and that's why the word is so critical. He wants you to know his promises that he's made to you. He wants, to know who, he wants you to know who you are, and just who you are as the image of God, as his creation and child. And, but it, it looks like, like these quiet times, it looks like not just reading the Bible, but it also looks like silence and stillness. And that is the part that I would really want us to focus on because it's such a weakness of our culture right now. How often do we actually read our Bible and then afterwards just nothing? You know, just, just meditate on it and chew on it. And you're probably gonna find a lot of distractions at that time. And it's, it's not going to be easy. You know, it's, it really is a discipline, but, but I encourage you, you, you must work at it, because that, if there's nothing good, nothing truly good that comes easy. So, in kind of closing and thinking practically, like, what, is, what does this look like to, to do this? So, I have two words here, solitude and community. So, we talked about solitude. And um, we'll get into that more because I, I have an exercise I want us to end with. Um, but 
community. Um, let's, let's go to this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. And if, if you want to grow and know God and experience this life, you must show up. You must show up for God and just your, your time with him. And you must show up for God's people. Uh, the American church really sucks at community right now. We have all these pseudo-communities online of built around a shared interest, just liking the same sports team or whatever. But that, that's shallow. That's not a accountable, like, um, supportive of one another community that, that God has in mind. He says, let him who cannot be alone remember beware of community. Saying that if you're not alone, you're going to be off. You're going to be broken and lost from your center. And so when you come into contact with people, you're going to inevitably hurt them because you're this, this vacuum and black hole that's just going to go around and wreak devastation. And then if you're always with people and you're always doing the next thing, uh, you really got to prioritize uh, being alone. So practically, what does this look like? I have three words. I've got time, place, and noise. And so um, I, I wanted to have, have some papers, but let's um, don't worry about that. I, I want you to, though, as we go through these things, I'm going to give you some prompts. I really want you to think about it and apply it to your life. So time. I have heard personally and I've heard other leaders say that they keep hearing this, of just saying, I don't have time for God. I don't have time for quiet time. I don't have time for reading my Bible. And... I was terrible at this. I was so, so bad. And so, but in high school, someone said this one liner. I can't remember who it said, but it seriously, dramatically changed my life forever. They told me, lovingly, I think, I can't even really remember. They said, we all have the time for the things we most care about. And quite simply, if you're not pursuing God in this time with him, then it's not your ultimate priority. But maybe you're hearing this and you're saying, no, I really do want this. I, I want to be with God and receive his love for me and to have him heal me and change me, but I just don't know how. And that's, that's incredible. Like, please talk to us. Don't leave today without talking to one of us. We want to lead you through this, and this can be a major turning point in your life. So uh, I recently read the most famous book in the world on why habits are so important, how to build good ones and break bad ones. And so a concept here in terms of finding a time is you need to link it to something you do with recurrence. That's why we talk about morning time. It's really hard to do with something to build a habit if it's not tied to something you on recurrence do. Uh, for me, that was fourth meal sometimes in college. I was like, eat, like reading the Bible at 1 a.m. with two chocolate milks. My people at my co-op made fun of me for it. Um, and it was just this... That's what I did for my quiet time with God. You know, it could be when you wake up. It could when you, be you go to bed. It could be immediately after school. It's just chain it to something. Find a recurring time. And so I challenge you to think about your life. When could you do this? It doesn't have to be the morning time. But there's a lot of value to that. Just find a recurring time. Lock this practice of slowing down, closing off all the distractions, and pursuing God. Oh, there it is. So, and then the next one is place. Finding a place. It could be a specific room of your house. You know, the Bible says go into a room, close the door, don't let, any, don't let other people see you, don't make it this display. But like, 
For Nana, for example, this is driving on a country road. That's a time where she is close with God. For me, actually, like weightlifting, I don't really look like I weightlift that much, but that has been a time for me that I have a lot of closeness with God, even though there's people around because I have that internal silence. And to just think about your life, where is the place that you can do it, this physical place that is different from what you're used to, not the same place, don't... I mean, you sleep in your bed, so maybe not in your bed, for example, you know. Just break up the norm, find a place to be with God. And then the last one is noise. You're going to have to think about what are the distractions, what's keeping me, and, like, we all have our specific things that keep us from God. Um, a quote from Greg McKean, says, prioritize your life or someone else will. And, you know, as Christians, we believe that that something else is very dark and evil, and... Yeah, so it's time to close. I have an illustration, but I think we're running out of time. So I'm just going to pray for us. And then we're going to have an award ceremony of sorts. All right. Dear God, I know we... We're really bad at silence. We're really bad at slowing down. We're really bad at saying no to things and prioritizing and making decisions. I pray right now that you would reveal yourself to the people in this room. I pray that you would speak to them and, and show them and move them to know how much you love them, how much you desire this time with them, and how much it breaks your heart when we destroy ourselves and we run from you and we live outside of this connection with you. I pray that this would be a turning point. I pray that we would leave this room with a clear uh, zeal and decisiveness and intentionality about finding that time, finding that place and cutting out those distractions. Maybe it's turning our phone off and putting it in another room. I don't know, but I pray that you would lead these people. And finally, I also pray that you would not just give them this time alone, but you would also give them this time in community where they can not just hear your voice from your word, but hear your voice through other people as you transform others. And they can see the gospel transforming the lives of their peers and their friends. I pray that they would be transformed and then they would seek to have this positive peer pressure toward their friends and bring them into this positive community. We thank you that you have created us, that you love us, and that you invite us into this uh, life. I pray that we would have the faith and the boldness and the courage to pursue it. In Jesus' name, amen.